Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. be in the presence of the Lord than just about anywhere else. You know, it's funny, we've been um, at the beginning of each of our messages in this series, we've been talking about our core values as a church. And this week, we're on core value number two, which is God's presence. (laughs) So, I think it's a a little bit interesting that here we are um, talking about the fact that we value God's presence and here we are in the presence of the Lord. Aren't you thankful for the presence of the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. How many of you are happy to be in church today? Woo! Glory to God. You know, I one thing that I will say, because we got these slides and all these things we've prepared for our service, we, we, we make our plans in pencil for, for uh, services because we understand that at the end of the day, we just want to follow after what God wants to do. And so if the Lord, if the spirit of the Lord is leaning a certain direction uh, in, in a service, we want to follow that direction, you know? I'm just not interested in y'all just hearing from me on a Sunday. Amen? Isn't that good news? <laughs> I tell you what, you don't need what I have to say. You need what the Holy Spirit has to say. So we value God's presence, and, and that means we value all the things that we're experiencing today. We, we, we value praise and worship, and we value prayer, and we value the moving of God's Spirit. When the Spirit of God is moving, don't be the one that stops Him. Amen? The Bible talks in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 about what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell you, when, the, when God's moving in your life, don't be the one that stops Him from moving. Amen. Don't, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, just learn to go with the flow. Amen. So we value God's presence. I'm not going to spend any more time talking about that because we're experiencing the presence of the Lord this morning. I do want to continue in the book of James, uh, and I think that that's the right thing to do and the right direction to go. So um, you can actually stay or go, whatever you want to do. Uh, well, I'll definitely need you back at the end, though, so... Yeah, um, but let's let's just do a moment or two of review, if we could, of what we talked about last week. How many of you remember last week? We talked about authentic faith that's manifested by good works. Uh, the book of Ephesians, as a matter of fact, talks about that God before ordained good works that we should walk in them, so that when we come into the family of God, when we're born again, uh, we become justified. Uh, and we become righteous according to the blood of Jesus and according to the work that Jesus did on the cross, we become the righteousness of God in Christ. And then God has before ordained, he's planned ahead that because we're righteous, we would do some good things. 
that that, that that righteousness has come into our hearts, it's made us righteous, and now we get to walk that out, and we get to walk in good works. So James last week was telling us and helping us to understand that faith, if it is authentic, has some corresponding action that goes with it. It has some corresponding works that goes with it. A lot of times we, we play at faith, and we pretend we have faith. We try to convince ourselves that we have faith. Uh, and James says, if the faith is authentic, it will be followed up by some kind of corresponding action. Amen? In other words, if I say that I love God and I don't love people, then, uh, then that faith may not be quite as authentic as I think that it is. Does that make sense this morning? So, faith is our conviction and our commitment to what we can't see. Romans tells us that Abraham was fully persuaded that God would do what he said he would do. I'm just doing a real quick review of what we talked about last week. Faith is our conviction and our commitment to what we can't see. Works, then, are the product or the byproduct of that authentic faith. We asked this question last week. Are we justified by faith or by works? And the answer is yes. Because the faith, if it is real, will produce some corresponding action or work. Action or works, according to verse 26, is what makes our faith come alive. James says, just as the, just as the body is dead without the spirit, faith without works is dead. And I used an illustration of having a glove, and I put my hand in the glove at the end, and I said, see how the glove without the hand doesn't have any life in it, but, but uh, it, that's the way that our faith looks like when there's no corresponding action that goes with it. But when I bring some action behind my faith, then the glove's got some life in it. Are y'all doing okay this morning? Okay, just a bit of review. I, I want to begin because we're crossing over into chapter 3 today, and I want to begin by asking uh, just a couple of questions, okay? Just asking a couple of questions this morning, and, and I just want you to sit and ponder with those questions for just a second. First question is this, what if it were possible to completely control and direct the course and the trajectory of your life? What if it were possible to completely control and direct the course and the trajectory of your life? Question number two is this, what if you could sidestep obstacles with one single simple adjustment? I know it sounds, I sound like an infomercial this morning. <laughs> what if you could lose 25 pounds and still eat all the foods you love? Would you do it? If there was just one silver bullet to life, would you, would you take advantage of it? If there was one adjustment that, that every one of us could make today that would immediately begin to shift our lives, would we take advantage of it? What we're going to talk about today in chapter 3, I don't know who's wanting to borrow the Wi-Fi password from me, but both my devices just went, that's what happens when you stop printing notes and you start reading off an iPad. <laughs> what we're going to talk about today could be the single simple adjustment that changes everything in your life. And that's not an exaggeration. I would love to just hang out in the presence of the Lord and just do that today, but I really did come with a word on my heart that God put in my heart, and so I got to get it out to you today. 
because I believe so strongly in what we're going to talk about today, even though I fail to practice it all the time in my life. If I can be very honest with you, I believe so strongly in what we're going to talk about today that, that I wanted to present it to you by asking you those questions and just say, you know, that there is, there is a single adjustment that you can make today, starting right now. You don't have to do anything other in your life other than make this one simple adjustment today, and it will begin to dynamically change your life immediately. That having been said, let's turn to James chapter 3. And I'm just going to read the first 12 verses to you and then dive into this. Y'all all right? All right. James chapter 3. Hallelujah. Oh, this is rhema. This is rhema word to somebody this morning. Maybe just me, but hopefully y'all come along. Verse 1. My brethren, let, many of, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. I don't know why, but that just makes me laugh. I just imagine James like riding the back of a humpback whale, you know, just we've tamed every beast of the sea. You understand what he's saying, though. <laughs> That's what happens when you have an unruly imagination. Verse eight, but no man can tame the tongue. In other words, he's saying we've tamed, we've figured out how to tame animals. We figured out how to tame every animal. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in the similitude of God. Ouch. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Are you paying attention? Ouch. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh water. Selah. James is coming for us this morning, y'all. Don't worry, we're in this together. I haven't figured, I haven't figured it all out yet in my life. I, I still need God's grace and I need the help of the Holy Spirit to watch my mouth. Amen. My Bible titles this first portion of the chapter as the untamable tongue. The untamable tongue. And I find it interesting that James goes at the beginning of this portion of uh, beginning of this passion passage the beginning of this portion of scripture he starts by saying let not all of us desire to become teachers knowing that we'll incur a stricter judgment. 
Now, I've thought about that scripture for so many years because I'm a pastor. And because when you read something like that and you're called to be a pastor, that's one of those that gets your attention. Like, okay, <laughs> let not many of you desire to become teachers knowing we're going to incur a stricter judgment. And I've thought to myself, is that judgment from God uh, or what? Now, I believe that God's judgment relative, you know, God's judgment to me is relative to, his, to, to what Jesus did on the cross. So I don't think this is a matter or a question of a person's salvation. But certainly, as a preacher, I'm held to a certain standard. And as Christians, we're held to certain standards. How many of you figured out that you can't do what everybody else does? Amen. You're a Christian, you're a believer. Yeah, but they, mom, they do it. Yeah, well, she, you, you can't. Amen. My mom used to tell me before I would leave the house as a young man, in, in my teenage years, my sister and I would be getting ready to go somewhere. She'd tell us right before we go out the door, remember who you are. You can't do the things that everybody else does. You're held to a higher standard. I believe that God's judgment of me, again, relative to my eternal life in heaven, is based not on my works, but on my faith in Christ, not my performance. Those who are teachers will receive a stricter judgment, perhaps from God, certainly from people. Amen. Just in case you didn't know what life was like under the microscope. But this is a great lesson right at the top, right off the top, a great lesson for leaders. Because James is getting ready to jump into this discussion on the tongue and he starts by addressing leaders. A great lesson for those who are in leaders, leadership. People are listening to the words that come out of your mouth and they're watching your life to see if the two are going to line up. Amen. There are, listen, can I tell you something? There are very few things as irritating as a leader who places a responsibility and a demand on you that they don't place on themselves. Amen. Well, you better be good. You better be holy. Me, I don't have to, but you, you better do it. No, that's not how it works. I grew up in a preacher's family, so you always hear things like, you ought to live what you preach. We flip that on its head. We ought to preach what we live. Let your life be so consumed with the word of God and with being the person God's called you to be that then when people see you, they know who you really are. And then when you stand up to preach, your words have power. Make sure that your life and your words match. That's what James is saying right off the bat. Now he's going to start to, to teach us how to get our words in line. Verse 2 for we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. If anybody doesn't stumble in word, he's a perfect man or woman. For all intents and purposes, when you read the word tongue in the remaining portions of this chapter, and really throughout the whole book of James, understand he's referencing the words that come out of your mouth. And the word perfect here is a very interesting word in the Greek. It's the word teleos. And it's the word which means complete or mature. Remember the theme of the book of James is maturity, right? So this is one of those key factors to maturity. 
Again, the word perfect here is the word teleos, describes something that has been brought to its end and is complete. It also means that nothing else is necessary for completeness. In other words, you've arrived. I think whenever I read this word teleos, it's all over the New Testament, by the way, all over the New Testament. It's the word that Jesus said when he hung on the cross, when he said, it is finished. It's the Greek word teleos. And the picture I often get in my mind is of an assembly line. Have you ever watched that show, How It's Made? And you see, how, you know, they, they go look at different industries and you might see uh, a car, for example, being made. And at the very end of this assembly process, there's a whole process of machines and people and all putting this car together. And then at, at some point it gets to the end of that process and it's finished. That's what this word teleos means. It's finished. It's done. James is telling us that if we get to the point in our lives where we are able to self-control our tongue, we're complete. You've made it. You've arrived. This is a huge point that cannot be overemphasized. According to God, a significant measure of maturity is your ability to exercise self-control over what you speak. Can I tell you this with love as a pastor who loves you? If you do not have control over what comes out of your mouth, you are immature. Selah. If you don't have control over what comes out of your mouth, you're immature. It's not an easy one to stomach, but it's reality. How does your mouth handle conflict? How does your mouth handle rejection? How does your mouth handle offense? We're going to get into some stuff today. Oh, I know it would have been so much easier for everybody to just sit in the glory. <laughs> Psalm 141, verse 3, David says, put a guard over my lips. Put a guard. Can we go there, actually? Will you pull it up on the screen? Psalm 141, verse 3. He says, oh, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. I want you to see it in the scripture there. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Wow. What a posture. What a way to live. I mean... What if you and I got to the place where we took so seriously the words that came out of our mouth that literally we spent every day just considering before we spoke? What if you just, like, what if that was your motivation? That you just walked around asking yourself the question, what would God say before you spoke? If you grew up in church in the 80s and then in the 90s, as I did, you'll remember, perhaps even the early 2000s, a little bracelet that everybody used to wear in high school. 
with the letters WWJD. What would Jesus do? In my youth group, that bracelet had special significance because uh, Sean back there was the first one of us to get our license. And because he had his license and his mother's white van, none of us ever felt the need to drive. So I didn't get my license till I was 18 because Sean just drove us around. And so WWJD and our youth group, no joke, stood for when will Josh drive? That was the question. <laughs> I kid you not, that was a real thing. It absolutely happened. It's verifiable. But y'all remember those bracelets? What would Jesus do? What if, what, what if, what if that was your question before you spoke? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? Or, or is it just so reactionary that when you see something happen that you don't like, you just immediately blurt it out? Immature. This word bridle that he uses here in verse 2 says, if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man or a mature man, and he's also able to bridle the whole body. The word bridle is, this is a pretty intense Greek word when it comes to pronunciation. Halingangogeo. Pretty impressive, isn't it? It means to lead with a bridle. Note the emphasis on leading. This is the first tip off. This is the first clue that we get from James that our words are actually the things leading our lives around. Our words are the things leading our lives around. In every situation, you are being led by the words coming out of your mouth. And either those words are getting to line up with the scripture and line up with the will of God for your life and line up with the plan of righteousness that God put on the inside of you, or they're not. He goes on to say, can, can salt water and fresh water come out of the same spring with the same mouth? We bless God in one occasion, and then we curse our neighbor who's made in the image of God. These things ought not be so. If we really believe that our words were in charge of our lives would we not be a little more invested in what comes out of our mouth? If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's so important. Your experiences today are the result of words you have spoken in the past. What you said yesterday is what you're living today. What you said yesterday is what you're living today. That's how it works. We're gonna see this Obviously, in this passage, I'm also going to show you that James was probably recycling some of his older half-brother Jesus' message from Matthew 12. Y'all remember that James was the half-brother of Jesus? James is, James is recounting some of the stuff he learned from Jesus, from listening to Jesus. We'll look at that passage in just a moment. But it goes without saying, or excuse me, it, it needs to be said. It doesn't go without saying what you said yesterday is what you're living today. That is a mechanism that'll never change. God designed it that way. Now he goes on, continues in verses three and four, and he continues this analogy with horses and rudders, ships. He says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and then we turn their whole body 
I think it's incredible that a, a, a little four or five inch piece of steel that fits inside of the mouth of a horse can turn the entire, you know, thousand pound, 1200 pound animal. Isn't that incredible? A little, you know, 10 ounce piece of steel can control a one ton animal. The same is true with your mouth. It's controlling your whole life. I know we don't think it is, but it is. Amen. Oh, man. I, I get to be the blessed one to preach the hard things. It's true, though. The analogy continues with a horse, and then he goes on with a rudder. Let's keep reading. Look also, verse 4, look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member but boasts great things. What if the pilot of that ship, what if the, the captain, desired to go left, but the rudder was pointed in such a way that the ship was going to go right. Regardless of the desire of the captain, if you want to fix the direction of the ship, you got to fix the rudder of the ship, right? Regardless of where you want to be in five years, your words are the things determining where you ultimately will be. So if you want to be in a place that's different from where you're at, then you got to figure out how to get control of this little guy, right? It's a reality check. It's a reality check. Amen? We've all had reality check. Anybody have a reality check in your life? Yeah. This is a reality check. The pilot can desire to go the right direction, the wind can even be blowing, telling the ship that it's going to be able to go in the right direction. And if the rudder is wrong, the whole thing's off course. The wind can be pushing the ship, but if the rudder is off, the ship doesn't go where it needs to. Can I tell you this morning that the wind of God's spirit can be blowing in your life and your tongue can still keep you off course? Y'all know that all throughout the Old and New Testament, the Holy Spirit is described using the word wind. All throughout the whole Bible. When you see wind, it's often a type and a representation of the activity of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Can I tell you, you can have God breathing into your life. You can have the wind of God's Spirit blowing in your life. You can be, listen, you can be all in. And God can be moving in your life, doing amazing things, and you can still get off course by running your mouth. I've done it, guys. I say this with a, with a little bit of smile on my face because I've done it so many times. How many of y'all have been in just like an awesome church service where God just moves and does something amazing, and then you just yell at somebody in the parking lot after the church service is over? immature. Yes. Frankie and I, we will lift our own hands because we've both done it and, we, you know, y'all can learn from our example. Bless the Lord. We've all been there, right? It's not, listen, it's not a condemnation. 
This book is not condemning, it's convicting. And there's a big difference. Condemnation pushes you down. Conviction calls you up. Condemnation says, you're a nobody. Conviction says, hey, that's not who you are. You're, you're, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Come on up here. This is a convicting word. It convicts us to become more mature. Verse six, he goes on to say that the tongue is a fire and it's a world of iniquity. Look what he says. It's so set among our members. In other words, the tongue is so positioned, our words are so positioned that it defiles the whole body. What is James saying here? He's saying that our words touch every part of our life. There's not a place in your life that hasn't been influenced by your words. Oh, man. Oh, I could preach for six weeks on that statement alone. There's not a place in your life that, life that has not been... <laughs> there's not a place in your life that has not been influenced by your words. Your marriage, your kids, your job, your attitude, your thought life. I mean, so many of us are like, man, I just wish my life could be better, but we don't want to change the way we talk. We hear a great message and we get all stirred up and excited and praise God. I'm going, so yeah, it's going to be awesome. Life is good. God is for me, not against me. And then the little tiniest little blip of something happens in our life and we go, God, I can't believe it. Not again. Oh man, my life's falling apart. Okay. You said it. Oh man, I just can't. And we just go off like a machine gun. Or our kids do something and we just start barking at them. What are they learning? They're learning how to set themselves up for failure. They're absorbing that when life gets tough, we let our mouths run. Ay, 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 ay. There's no place in your life that hasn't been influenced by the words coming out of your mouth. In fact, it's such a strong concept that James goes on in verse 8 to say, no man can tame the tongue. Nobody can tame their tongue. Oh, it's cause for weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's hopeless. No, it's not hopeless. No man can tame the tongue, but praise God, the spirit of God on the inside of you, he can tame your tongue. If you let him have control, if you, let, if you, if you give him the reins, you can be the horse with the bit and he can direct, direct and direct and guide and lead. Yeah. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? Almost like Jesus took this seriously. You remember in the, in the, in the book of John, he said the, the son could do nothing except that which he sees the father do. And he said, I only say the things I hear my father say. Jesus actually lived a life where he didn't speak unless he believed he was being influenced by God to say what he's about to say. Is it any wonder that Jesus' words carried so much weight? Is it any wonder that when he saw the woman caught in adultery... 
And the Bible says all the Pharisees and the rulers and the teachers of the law are there and they've all got stones. They're ready to stone her and they bring her before Jesus to see what is Jesus going to say because they're trying to trap him. Right? Because if he says, yeah, stoner, then all the people following him are going to leave and they'll end his ministry. If he says, no, don't stone her, they'll call him a blasphemer because they'll say, well, the law told us we should stone him. So Jesus, what does he do? Does he get in his flesh and run off his mouth and try to come up with a great argument? Uh Uh-uh. What does he do? Stoops down in the sand. Everybody wants to know what he wrote. I don't care what he wrote. It's what he said after he stopped that they had no argument for. Who's without sin? Go ahead, cast the first stone. You you can't argue with Jesus. Why? Because he's speaking on behalf of God. Do you know that if you and I would learn to put that that doodle in the sand pause in our lives, we might actually shift the course of our lives. Jesus, I'm going to read this quickly from Matthew chapter 12. Y'all remember that, as I said, Jesus is James's older half-brother. And Jesus had some things to say about the tongue in Matthew 12. I'll read this quickly, and then I want to give you some, some practical uh, thoughts here in closing. But let's look at Matthew 12 real quick, verse 33. And I'm just going to read this quickly and not take too much time on it. Jesus says that this section is all in red, so you can trust that it's Jesus' words, okay? This is him speaking. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Stop right there. Your words are the fruit of your life. If your life was a tree, your words would be the fruit, okay? Let's keep going. Brood of vipers, snake babies. That's what, that's what he said. That's what he calls the religious leaders. Snake babies. That sounds like a show on Nickelodeon, doesn't it? Brood of vipers. This is an amazing question. How can you being evil speak good things? It's a rhetorical question. He's not looking for an answer. How can you being evil speak good things? You can't. Why, Jesus? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If... If, if righteousness is what's brewing on the inside, then righteousness is what's going to come out. If strife and anger is what's brewing on the inside, then strife and anger is what's going to come out. The tree grows the fruit that it's supposed to grow. And if your life was a tree, the fruit are your words. Hallelujah. He goes on to say, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, verse 36 is so important. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they'll give an account of it in the day of judgment. I'll explain why that's so important in just a few minutes. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Proverbs tells us, Solomon so graciously tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
Those who love it will eat its fruit. If you care about what comes out of your mouth, it will lead to joy, satisfaction, peace, life. If you're willy-nilly about what comes out of your mouth, who knows what kind of fruit you're going to get. <laughs> Amen. Now, I want to, are y'all, are y'all good? All right, I got about 10 minutes left. I want to give you three different types of words. I want to get real practical with you today. Three different types of words for us to eliminate from our lives forever. Three categories. And I even made them super easy. They all start with C. Three types of words. Three categories of words that you can eliminate from your life forever. Number one, words that are complaining. Number two, words that are crushing. And number three, words that are careless. Number one, words that are complaining. I'll explain these in a second. Number two, words that are crushing. And number three, words that are careless. Let's start with words that are complaining, shall we? For the appetizer. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 says this. Do all things without complaining and without disputing. The ESV says without grumbling. I love it. My mother used to tell us not to grumble when we were children. What is grumbling? Anybody, any parent ever had that kid? <laughs> they'll do what you tell them, but they're doing it grumbling. Oh, I'll clean my room, but I'm going to do it angry. Pick up these stupid toys every time I got to pick this bear off the ground and make my bed and tuck that pillow in the way. <laughs> How many of us serve God in the same fashion? Oh, yeah, I love my neighbor, but I, God, I can't stand that son of a mother. I'm just bringing it right down to where you live. Yeah, I love my neighbor, but I don't want to. Yeah, I'll tithe, but it's my money. I'll give my time. Yeah, I'll volunteer. Can't believe they asked me to do it two weeks in a row. Don't they know that I have things to do? Just do everything without complaining. Just do it without complaining. Here's the, here's the cool thing. If you recognize and if you remember that everything that you do is unto the Lord, it becomes much easier to do it without complaining. It becomes so much easier. Oh, how about this one? How about this one? When you're, uh, when you're, when you're not so favorite political pundit makes a decision you disagree with. I can't believe what she did. Oh, I can't believe it. Did you believe? Can you see this? Did you see it on the news today? Oh my God! Can you believe what he said? Can you believe what she said? Oh my God! I couldn't be like, oh my God! I can't believe it. Do everything without complaining. Hallelujah. Do you know? Do you know, and I'm, I'm going to have to go back and fact check myself here on this, but I want to say that it was 10 times. Do you know that in the rebellion, 
in the book of Numbers, when the people rose up and, at Korah, when they rose up and rebelled against Moses, they complained ten times. And I'm, I'm going to have to go back and check, fact check myself on this. But I seem to remember them complaining ten times. And the earth swallowed them alive. Because God did not want complaining to pollute the promised land when people went in. Isn't that wild? Don't fact check me. I'll fact check myself. It's not in my notes. I'm just trying to remember it. Psalm 106, speaking of the children of Israel, verse 25, Psalm 106 says this, they murmured in their tents and they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The problem with complaining is that it goes directly against what God wants in our lives, which is thanksgiving and praise. See, we think that thanksgiving, we think that the opposite of praise is doubt and fear. It's not. It's complaining. <laughs> Just think about that. We, we have a responsibility from God to do everything with thanksgiving. Paul tells us that. He tells us that in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, in everything with thanksgiving. In everything with thanksgiving. This is the will of God for you in Christ. That we do everything with thanksgiving. Not with complaining. So three types of words to eliminate. Number one, words that are complaining. Number two, words that are crushing. These are words that fall under the category of criticism and gossip. Ouch. But pastor, I love to, to gossip. I know. <laughs> Feels real good to your flesh. I get it. You don't know what it's doing to your insides. Hey, did you hear what happened? Oh my God, girl, you got a second? Let me tell you something. Did you hear about what she did? What do you think about that? You spend a whole afternoon going back and forth. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know. What about this? Oh, yeah, I know. What about this? And we think we're being judicious. We think we're being godly. Gossip's a killer. Criticism is a killer. Don't. Don't get captivated with the critical spirit. It's not going to do you any good. Look at what Proverbs 16 says. This is amazing. Y'all doing all right? I still got three minutes and 25 seconds on my clock, so you're not going anywhere. Proverbs 16. Look at this. Oh, man, this just wrecked me when I read it. Proverbs 16, verse 23 says, Understand it, or excuse me, Verse 23 says, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and he adds learning to his lips. The person who is wise is the person who is instructing his own mouth in what to say. That is self-regulated. That is self-control. What did Paul tell Timothy? 
In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said that the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It means a self-controlled mind. Your mind needs to have the ability to get in front of your words and determine what's going to come out. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Look at verse 27 and 28. An ungodly man, this is gossip. An ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. Good night. Solomon and James are cut from the same cloth. An ungodly man digs up evil and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife. And a whisperer separates the best of friends. Oh, man. If we could get gossip and slander and criticism out of our mouths, what could we accomplish for the sake of the kingdom of God? Man. I want you to think of this question. Next time, before you speak about someone else, can the person you're speaking about bear the weight of your words about them? What what are you prophesying over somebody when you're talking about them? Can that person bear the weight of the words you're unloading on them? You see, the religious spirit criticizes. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love believes the best In all things. I don't know what you heard about them. I don't know what he and she said and she said and he said and all that. Doesn't matter. Love believes the best. Love holds up the standard of the best in a person's life. Don't be critical. Don't use words that are crushing. I remember, I'm going to tell you this quick story then I'll share the last point. I remember I was driving down 421, coming down this way. I was actually getting ready to turn left onto Bamboo. Uh, No, I take that back. I was going into downtown. The person was turning left onto Bamboo. I like to be accurate in my stories. I was sitting in my car. This person was turning left, and I was angry at them for however it was that they were driving, whatever thing I thought that they did that was so terrible. And I started to, you know, as we all do, behind the wheel. God, what are you doing? This is the kind of stuff I would say behind the wheel. What are you, come on, what are you doing? You're going to miss the light. You're going to ruin this for both of us. Come on, man, give me some grace. I'm from New York. All right, I'm an Italian. I'm from New York. Come on, man. This is the kind of stuff I would say. What are you doing? And I was, uh, no joke, I was at the light here at Bamboo. This is years ago. And the Holy Spirit spoke very strongly to me and, and, and taught me a principle that I'd never thought of before. And he said, depression is the fruit of the seeds of criticism. Depression is the fruit of the seeds of criticism. And I knew in that exact moment, I was operating out of a critical spirit. I was saying words out of my mouth that were crushing to this person. I don't even know this person. I don't know what they're going through. 
Maybe they were confused. Maybe they were a tourist. Maybe they didn't know where they were going. What difference does that make to me? I'm letting words come out of my mouth that have no business coming out of my mouth. Jesus said it's not what comes out of a man, not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man. So I'm, I'm over there just spouting off all kinds of stuff and the Holy Spirit hits me. Depression is the fruit of the seeds of criticism. In other words, you plant criticism and your reasoning is nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever good enough. Let me criticize this because it's not good enough. I criticize this because I'm going to criticize my marriage because my wife's not good enough. I'm going to criticize my kids because they're not good enough. I'm going to criticize my job because my boss isn't good enough. I'm going to criticize the, the world's economy because of, you know, somebody's not good enough. I'm going to do this. I'm going to criticize, criticize, criticize. Nothing's ever good enough. And pretty soon, those seeds grow up into depression. And now you're sad. Now you're frustrated. And now you can't get out of this bubble of depression. And nothing's good enough. And you don't know why. People bless you and it's not good enough. People minister to you. The glory of God comes in your life and it can't get you out of the funk of your depression and nothing's good enough. And I'm just so depressed and nothing's good enough. Why? Because you've been playing criticism. I'm here to tell you, if you will get honest with yourself, you can draw a straight line between the things that depress you now and go back and find out where you've been critical. Can I, can I tell you? The Holy Spirit will fix it in an instant. If you will let him, if you'll let him do some work on your heart, Lord, oh Lord, if I've been critical, show me, God. Lord, reveal to me, reveal to my heart the place that I've been critical, where I've been holding people to unrealistic standards, where I've been, where I've been just complaining and dogging folks and gossiping and nothing's been good enough. Show me, God, so I can pull up the roots of that nasty thing and get it out of my life. All of a sudden, everything's good enough, even when it's not good enough. Eliminate words that are complaining. Eliminate words that are crushing. Eliminate words that are careless. Come on up. The third one is so important. It's the word careless. Jesus said it. We read it back in Matthew chapter 12. I'm not going to make you turn back there, but he said in verse 36, he said that in the day of judgment, we're going to have to give account for idle words. The word idle in the Greek is the word argos, and this is what it means, lazy. It's also translated as barren. It represents the opposite of something that has life in it. It represents something that is void of life. Can I tell you that if your words are careless, they're not producing life. And if they're not producing life, they're producing death. There's no in-between. Your words, I mean, what, what, did, what did Solomon say? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He didn't say death and life and a lot of big gray area that's just sort of neutral. No, he said, this is what comes out of your mouth. It's either life-giving or it's death. Put a guard, do, do what David said, Psalm 141, verse three. Put a guard over your mouth so that you don't complain, so that you don't speak words that are crushing, and so that you don't speak words that are careless. Can I illustrate this last point for you? This is a little illustration 
that I like to call get it out. Because this illustration really helps to locate us, okay? This is toothpaste. And, and how many of you, especially in a situation where you feel like you're extra justified, you just want to get it out? Well, they just need to know how I feel. And they just need to know. Mm. And so what do you do? Well, get it out. And then you get around some other carnal person and they encourage you to get it out. Well, baby, just come on, just get it out. Right? This toothpaste represents you. The toothpaste inside the tube represents the words of your mouth. So, so, so you just feel like because you're extra justified and your flesh is feeling extra froggy that day, so you just feel like I just gotta get it out. Well, I just can't believe what she did to me. And then something bad happens at work and you, oh man, God, can you believe our boss? God, he's such a jerk. <laughs> and then you get home and your kids do something that you don't like. And so you every time I come home and this is just what I walk into and I can't believe it. Oh, go ahead, get it out, get it out. Oh, get it out. Oh man, come on, look at this stupid, oh man, can you believe the economy? Oh, let it fly out of your mouth. Oh, I'm always sick. Oh man, I can't ever seem to get ahead. Get it out, get it out, get it out. Oh, it feels so good to get it out. Oh yeah, get it out. Here's the problem. Claire, come here. I'll use my daughter. Here's the problem. Get it out, here, hold that for me. Get it all out till it's, ooh, doesn't it feel good to get it out? Yeah. I chose red toothpaste because it makes the illustration even more awesome. Here's the problem. Claire, would you put that back in, please? Could you get all that toothpaste to go back in there, please? No, you can't, can you? See, this is the problem with words, man. Words are tricky. Because once they come out, you can't put them back in. And you'll make, you, you'll make a bigger mess trying to clean up the slop that came out of your mouth when you decided to just let it all out. Thanks, baby. Can I tell you something? There is never a justifiable moment for complaint. There's never a justifiable moment for gossip and slander. There is never a justifiable moment for carelessness in our words. Friends, we have been given, I'm done. We have been given a responsibility by God to watch our words. Can I tell you why that's so important? Because you're the only other being besides God himself that he gave the ability to speak. Your dog can bark, but he can't quote Beethoven or uh, Shakespeare or Beethoven. Can't sing either. Your cat can meow, meow. That's all they can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was the show where it was uh, where the dog used to come to talk to him? What, what happened? Johnny fell down the well? What was the show? Lassie. Lassie. Thank you. Lassie. 
Can I tell you something? Lassie don't exist in real life, okay? Lassie don't exist. Listen, human beings are the only other are the only other creature that God shared his ability to speak with. And his invitation to us in the book of Isaiah is, come, let us reason together. God ain't reasoning with the birds. He's just telling them where to go. God doesn't reason with the deer. I wish he would. (laughs) I hit one of them things a year and a half ago. I wish he would. God's not reasoning with the animals, but he gave you the ability to reason with him. Why? Because you're the only other being that can speak just like he can. Friends, we have a responsibility, an awesome responsibility to tame this tongue. How do I do it, pastor? How do I tame my tongue? It's real simple. Just turn it over to Jesus. Just turn it over to God. Lord, what do you want me to say today? Lord, put a guard over my lips. Holy Spirit, be, Holy Spirit, give me the red light on the inside when I'm about to say something I shouldn't say. Holy Spirit, tap me on the shoulder. Give me a nudge when I'm about to, when I'm about to fly off with a bunch of careless words. Lord, put me in my place. Give him permission to put you in your place. When you're about to say something that's totally contrary to his plan for your life. I said this at the beginning and I mean it. If you make this adjustment, this tweak, it will change the direction and the trajectory of your life. I don't know if you've ever known a person who got a, like a serious medical diagnosis. They went to the doctor and they found out something that was crazy. And, they, and, and so now all of their decisions from that moment forward are with the medical prognosis in mind. They start making decisions based on what the doctor told them, right? That's kind of the way this message strikes my heart. It's like, I want to make all the decisions based on what I just got told. I want, to, I want to walk slowly. I want, to, I, want to, I want to take a second before I just blurt it out. I don't want to bark at my kids. I don't want to fuss with my wife. I don't want to say stuff off the cuff. Amen. Has this helped you this morning? Has it challenged you this morning? Let's stand up to our feet. I've gone on long enough. Oh, man. Can you just bow your heads where you stand this morning? I think we're still going to get out on time. Look at God. Just as as we close today, I want to ask you, I want to give you an invitation that if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have the opportunity to do that here. And if you would say that I've heard what you're saying today preacher it makes sense I want to give Jesus control of my mouth too but if you've never asked him to come and live in you that's going to be really hard maybe you're here this morning and you've walked with the Lord but you're not walking with him right now maybe some things have come and happened in your life that have adjusted the way you see God and the way you think of Christianity the way you think of church if that's you I want to give you the opportunity to 
recommit your life to Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you've said, Lord, I just need help from the Holy Spirit to not run my mouth all the time. I want to give you the opportunity to make a commitment this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you fit one of those three descriptions, would you just raise a hand so I can see you this morning? I see those hands. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. Hallelujah. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.